time for the Blind Broadcaster Podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network. Each episode, Luther King sits down with fellow broadcasters to get their insight into their passion for broadcasting and discuss their career journey. Blind from birth, Luther King has never let that stop him from attaining his goal on becoming a blind broadcaster. And now, here's the blind broadcaster himself, Luther King. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the first of the final two episodes of 2021 in the month of December, and this is the Blind Broadcaster Podcast, a proud entity of the Luther King Broadcast Network. Hopefully you and your family had a very happy, blessed, and safe Thanksgiving, and now as we make the turn towards home and the Christmas and into the brand new year, I have two more gifts for you. Gift number one is the longtime voice of the Northwestern Wildcats, who's basically known around the Northwestern campus, as Mr. Cat. Dave Innett is my guest this week on this week's edition of the Blind Broadcaster Podcast. If you like the podcast, please rate, subscribe, and review on Apple or your favorite podcast platform directory. You can find me on social media by way of Facebook. You can email me also with suggestions and ideas for future guests for the podcast at luther.king.com. TSB at gmail.com. Same way on Facebook. You can find all information about the Blind Broadcaster podcast and future broadcast events by looking up the following pages on Facebook. For the play-by-play side, look up the Luther King Broadcast Network Facebook page and also the Blind Broadcaster podcast Facebook page. You can find me directly on Twitter at King underscore TSB and on Instagram at LKing.CardinalsFan85. When did you know broadcasting was going to be for you? And at the high school, were there any opportunities for on air to prepare you for your roles at WGN? No, not at all. Um, I, I guess I'd known since... I was a kid, like a lot of people in this business, that that's something that I wanted to do. But I did not go to a high school where there was any kind of a, a broadcasting opportunity. In fact, about the closest we came to it was uh, the uh, the public address, morning public address announcements. That was about uh, the, the only way you could get in front of a microphone in my high school. So uh, it wasn't until I got to college that I had any real hands-on experience in terms of radio. So at the college level, what things were you doing, learning to prepare yourself for getting onto WGN and Besides the college, were there any other things, any other side jobs broadcast-wise you were picking up while doing the education, or was it college and then catch your break after you leave, after you finish up four years of college? Well, no, I actually uh, I had some summer summer jobs that that were marginally related to to the business, but I a lot of my time was spent. Uh, when I was attending school at Northwestern, uh, working for the student radio station there, the WNUR. And I got a lot of experience there just uh, in terms of being able to do 
pretty much every every aspect. I, I didn't host music shows, but I did news. I did sports. Uh, I was able to do play-by-play when I was in college. And, uh, you know, not a lot of it, but enough that I knew it was something I, I hoped to pursue down the road. And then I also, uh, my junior year at Northwestern, I was able to get a job working in Chicago radio at WBBM. And basically I was a gopher in the newsroom and uh, answered phones and worked from four to midnight during the week and, and answered phones and ran out and got food for the staff and did whatever they needed me to do. But it got me a foot in the door, which is uh, so vitally important in this business. Who were you working with as a gopher slash intern at WBBM? Well, I worked uh, on the on the news side. Uh, the The news director was uh, a man named John Holtman, who became their anchored their mornings for many years, mm-hmm. um, and and was uh, you know a tremendous broadcaster. And then I worked on the sports side. Uh, with uh, Brad Palmer and Rich King. Brad was the sports director, so I would try to help him out every chance I could. And while I was working there, we also picked up the Chicago Bears and the Chicago White Sox. So I worked on the Bears broadcast with with Joe McConnell, uh, may he rest in peace, former Amen announcer. Here for, I like for, that guy. Uh, he was a tremendous broadcaster. and uh, His last last job he had was as the voice of Purdue mm-hmm. for many I listened, years. I was to some of his games with, uh, with um, Pete Quinn. Sure, sure. And Joe just uh, mm-hmm. passed away a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. But I worked with Joe and Brad Palmer on the Bears broadcast and, and Rich King. And then uh, with the White Sox, Joe did the White Sox at the time on BBM for a number of years. I and, remember... Uh, when I listened to Joe McConnell, because I know he did the NBA, I didn't know he did baseball, but I know he mm-hmm. worked when the Houston Oilers moved here to Tennessee, and he worked with Jeff Van Node in '97, and then yeah. Mike Keith is who's the current voice of the Titans. He worked with he was the color analyst with Joe McConnell in '98, right? Before he took it over right. full time as the lead voice, and he was still doing Purdue then, I think. Probably. Yeah, Joe always uh he was he always had more than one thing going. I mean, he was the voice of NBA radio for a while. In fact, he did the network broadcasts on the Bulls first championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of people recognize his voice from some of those games. And the late Jim Durham on the other side of the ledger as well when he was doing right, Bulls of course. radio. Yes. Absolutely. So, what do you feel like you learned at BBM that you still carry over to the WGN side of it? And when you're, you know, looking at scores, doing, you know, researching stories, how do you use your researching skills for doing weekly game prep for football or, you know, a twice or three nights a week game prep for baskets? Well, I, I just think it's it's some of it's what I learned there. Some of it's what I learned in in school. Yeah, I, I went to journalism school, and what I always tell people, the most valuable lesson 
the most valuable class I took was mm-hmm. copy editing, where basically it was a newspaper course. It was it was taking wire stories and newspaper stories and and you know finding mistakes that were put in there and, and making sure that everything was accurate. And and I used to you know, it was drudgery. It was it was like this is seems like busy work. But to me that that was one of the most important things I ever learned was was the value of being careful and being accurate and being precise and and to make sure you check all of your work and you know unfortunately the reality of broadcasting it's also what i love about it but there's no delete button and once you say something it's out there and uh, we don't have the luxury that the people in print media have of being able to go back, hit backspace and, you know, cover up your mistakes because um, we all make them. So I, I would say that the w- one thing I, I did learn working closely with a guy like Joe McConnell was, mm-hmm. was the value of, of preparation and, and information. I mean, I think Joe tended to over prepare for games and and you know i think anyone who's ever been in the position of having to broadcast a blowout knows you always want to have more stuff than than you need and that's something i've always tried to do and the other thing is i always like tried to to learn a lot of stuff by writing it down because i find that the the most a v- valuable way to memorize for me, and it works different for everybody, and I understand that, uh, is is to actually commit it to paper, and not necessarily bang it out on a laptop, but actually mm-hmm. to to take a, a pen and write it down. And so I've always kind of been a stickler for de- for that. I I do a lot of my football prep, obviously, is computer oriented, but I also do a lot by hand just as a way to kind of help me memorize it. So when did you, or I should ask, how did the WGN sports directing job and Northwestern football and men's basketball for you come into play when they were looking for a play-by-play voice? And when did you take over? as Northwestern play-by-play voice and what things did you learn with the 95 Rose Bowl team, which I did a big dent elite story on. And I did hear something with on another podcast from the voice, current radio voice, the Dodgers, Charlie Strainer saying that, you know, it goes from brain to mouth to ears. Once it's gone, it's gone. You can't get it back. But how tough is it when you, say something that you feel is accurate, but then when you go back, it's like, ooh, I, maybe I should have said that better. Well, I think we all have those. In fact, uh, Richard Dyche, who writes for The Athletic about media, just did a, a big story on that about a week or so ago where he he interviewed broadcasters all over the business. I saw, I saw, I saw the tweet about that. Right? Yeah. So... He, I mean, it was every, Continue. everybody from the biggest names Five, eight, to, two, four, 
Hold on. Okay. Sorry. Suck this up. My producer's gonna have a lot of editing to do on this one. <laughs> Extra work well, for him, but hey. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll pick it up. Uh, you know. I'll yeah, because I, because like, because like I said, I, I had seen the tweet from Richard, Richard Geach, who is probably, if not the best, close to the best writer when it comes to media and electronic media, and I did see the tweet about the play-by-play guys and play-by-play ladies that <clears throat> he interviewed about, like, mistakes and things like that, I think. Right. That is correct, because I saw that tweet. Yes. I'm like, wow. Yeah, and he, and he interviewed literally dozens. Um, Pat Hughes, who does the Cubs, is a good friend, uh, was one of the broadcasters who uh, was quoted in that story. And mm-hmm. so... <laughs> Excuse me. I think we all have those moments, and and I've I've had discussions with some of my counterparts about this. Where, it, you know, at some point you just have to kind of let it go. And when I was early in my career, they used to drive me crazy if I I go back and listen to a tape and realize I made a mistake or I used an inappropriate word, uh, not the word I meant to use, right, to describe something. And it would it would it would make me nuts, but I think you learn over the course of time that it bothers you more than it bothers the listener, and you notice it more than perhaps the listener will. That's exactly. part of it. And and then the other part is just that we all make we all make mistakes, and it's going to happen. And it's it's a live broadcast. You don't have the luxury of being able to read off a script. So you just try to take it with a grain of salt. If you make a mistake, you make a mistake and you move on and that sort of thing. I don't like making them. I don't want to make them. But I think I've tried to uh, to take the approach that if you do, it's going to happen. And you just uh, kind of move on from that point. And then, you know, as far as the other stuff you mentioned, I, yeah, I, I was working at WGN in the mid 80s and I. I actually was the assistant program director and I was on the air doing sports and I had been trying to add some sports properties here. We had the Cubs and we had the the, uh, Chicago Bears (coughs) and we carried DePaul basketball and my boss, uh, Dan Fabian, uh, was the general manager always wanted to add college football. We carried Notre Dame from time to time, but he said, you know, why, what about picking up Northwestern? Well, Northwestern was on a small suburban station at the time. And the program was in a tough place and they weren't winning many games. And so when I called uh, somebody I knew in the athletic department and I said, Hey, would there be any interest in moving the games to WGN? They jumped at it. At the same time, I got offered the sports director's job back at WBBM. And so 
even though I had kind of worked out this deal to bring Northwestern over here. Uh, at the time, I had a, a wife who was pregnant with our first child. And I was, I was, you know, looking. I had this opportunity to go back to a station where I started and do morning drive and be the sports director. And it was like, I just, I tried and tried, but I couldn't pass that up. So I go over there. We're carrying Notre Dame football on BBM. And let me guess, Tony Roberts and um, Alan Pinkett? Uh, Tony Roberts, yes, but it was, uh, I, I actually think it was pre uh, Alan Pinkett at the okay. time. Because I know Tony I Roberts was there forever doing football. There was a guy who was a former coach, and I'm, his name's going to hit me as soon as we hang up. Parsegian? No, he coached with Parsegian. He was an assistant coach with Parsegian. And I'll figure it out. But <laughs> but uh, but it was Tony Roberts at the time. And and then I did a weekly show with Lou Holtz on uh, BBM, and which is kind of a tradition for the Notre Dame flagship in Chicago to do a separate interview with the uh, Notre Dame coach every week to try – because they realize how important – Notre Dame was in Chicago. So anyway, we do that for a couple of years. And then, and, and Northwestern is on WGN. Well, then we, I get a call one morning from a friend of mine, who's a sportscaster here in Chicago, who at the time was working for a, a company that did radio syndication mm-hmm. guy named Luke Luke Ellis. And Lou calls me up and says, uh, would would BBM want to carry Northwestern? They had the North. They had the Northwestern rights um, because GN is dropping Northwestern to pick up Notre Dame. So I go to my bosses and I say, "Hey, would we consider taking Northwestern because we're losing Notre Dame?" And they said, "Sure." And they said, "We'll do it for a year." And so that's when I took over the play-by-play job, and that was 1990. So this year, if we have football, would be my 31st season. Uh, basketball, we didn't take basketball on BBM. I did the games there for, I don't know, five or six years. And then after that Rose Bowl season of 95, the, the contract was up. And then WGN took Northwestern back, and and they hired me as – the play-by-play broadcaster and sports director. So I've been here ever since. That was 1996. So when you took over the play-by-play in 1990, who was in the booth preceding you, and how much did you feel like of the format that you already learned just by listening to the old broadcast, or when you took it over, were there some things you wanted to implement as the new play-by-play voice and who was your color analyst at that point? Cause I don't know when you and Ted Albrecht started working together. Well, we actually at the time, uh, my predecessor was a guy named Tim Weigel, who was a longtime TV. He was a sports writer and then a longtime TV anchor mm-hmm. in Chicago. And he passed away several years ago now, but, oh, wow. but, 
Tim was a Tim was a great guy, and he was. Uh, well, and he, he'd be the first to tell you he wasn't really a a play by play guy. He was kind of a personality, and um, so he did the games before him. Joe McConnell actually did uh, did the games for a while, I believe, or he might have just done basketball. Um, I don't remember, but Tim did a couple of years doing play by play on WGN Radio, and I believe, and going back to McConnell for a second, wasn't. Yep. He- the Vikings as well while doing Northwestern. I mean, if he, yeah, was, if he wasn't, if he wasn't doing Purdue, he was doing the Tennessee Oilers. He was doing the Minnesota Vikings, Chicago Bears. Heck, he, he was probably doing some small colleges too. I don't think he did the Vikings at the same time he was doing Northwestern because he left the Vikings to come to the Bears, and it wasn't until oh, okay. after when he when he came to the Bears in 1977. From that point on, he did other Chicago teams. He had he he had not done, uh, you know, he had before that he had done the Broncos. He did the Colts at one. I think he did the Colts later, but he left the Vikings, came to the Bears, and I think at that point he started doing other uh, games in this area. But um, you know, he he was uh, he did basketball for a while. We ended up when. When Northwestern, after the Rose Bowl season, when they came to WGN, mm-hmm. that's when um, they also were able to get the radio station to carry both football and basketball instead of having them run on two separate stations, which is not an ideal arrangement. No. So um, the first year that Northwestern was on WGN, they did just the Big Ten games, and Pat Hughes did the basketball i did the depaul games which we also carried um pat was already doing northwestern so they just kept him on that and then i did depaul we did about 10 games and then when pat left for spring training with the cubs i took over northwestern for the rest of that season and the following year i took over northwestern full-time so what things were you learning about yourself doing Northwestern football to Paul baskets and then taking over Northwestern for men's basketball and football full time? And what things do you feel like, you know, broadcast wise, were you able to get put in? And now that you have a Learfield IMG college, you know, umbrella with your property, that probably gives you a little bit more leeway to still handle your sports stuff and not deal with all the extra stuff that goes along with advertisements and things like that to make sure that the broadcasts get on the air. Well, that's, that's true. They uh, Learfield IMG handles a lot of that. And, and of course they handle the sales end of it. Uh, so uh, we, we work closely with them and, and certainly a, their staff at Northwestern, Northwestern Sports Properties, I work very closely with. But um, we, unlike a lot of the Learfield IMG properties, we've tried to keep this uh, a very much a local broadcast and, and a WGN broadcast. And so so we actually handle a lot of the... Uh, keep going. 
a lot we of have the, a, a lot of the a lot of the in-house stuff. Yeah, a lot of the production elements we handle at this down. So and yeah, as a part of the you know production end of it, what are the things that you're? What are the things that you are listening for when you're you know trying to make sure that hey you know let's make sure that we get this in because or do you or do you even have much of a say on how you want the production being the sports director and play-by-play voice on how you like things to go in the broadcast well i meet with the learfield img guys every year we go over the elements in our pre-game show our post-game show any in-game elements sponsorships and and i do have some input into that but you know i i don't believe in saying no very often because it's it's a tough it's a tough business a tough climate and so if um, the business end comes up with things that they feel they can monetize or things that northwestern would like us to do from a content standpoint then we try to be you know we try to make it work and and i I can't think of too many occasions where it hasn't worked so, um, you know, we do sort of your basic elements, the coaches show and, mm-hmm. you know, we some player interviews and that sort of thing. Like I think most sort of the things you expect to hear in a broadcast and uh, nothing, there isn't anything that's too out there. How big for you are storylines and can you get yourself in a wormhole that, you have to figure out what storylines that are important and which ones you have to basically get rid of for a broadcast. I think, you know, as the week goes along, you know, what the storylines are going to be. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's a key injury or two. Sometimes it's something that the opponent does that might not be a good matchup for your team, or it might be a very good matchup. And, you know, so I think, I've, I've found those things tend to kind of take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I have a good relationship with the coaching staff, so I'm able to kind of pick their brains during the course of the week as to what you know, we might be wanting to watch for and might, what might be the, the key elements in the game. And, you know, I try to, to, to prepare for those. Uh, and, and some of it works out. And then there are the times where nothing you expected to happen ever does. So how do you how do you incorporate film watching and what is it like dealing with the different coaching staffs you've dealt with over the years and now the last little while you've been working with Pat Fitzgerald and his crew who was a player under Gary Barnett in that 95 season what was it like dealing with Coach Barnett and then it transitioning from Coach Barnett to an easy, seamless transition fit to Coach Fitzgerald, who's done very well of keeping the standard in Northwestern football high. Well, I can even go back before that to uh, Gary Barnett's predecessor, Francis Pay, uh, who, who was the head coach until 1991. And, had had a little bit of success in the late 80s 
relative to uh, Northwestern standards. But uh, really, uh, in 1989, they went 0-11 the year before I took over the games. Oh, wow. So that's, you know, that's a pretty tough deal. And so there was a lot of pressure um, on uh, Francis Pay, who had succeeded Dennis Green as the head coach. The late Dennis Green. The late Dennis Green. And unfortunately, Francis Pay has also passed. But mm-hmm. uh, but he was an assistant to Dennis. Mm-hmm. And then he'd been a, a lineman at Missouri, which um, was also Gary Barnett's alma mater, by the way. But Gary was hired from Colorado mm-hmm. to coach in 1992. And he, he came in and Francis and I had a very good relationship, mm-hmm. but he was, he was somewhat distrustful of the media. He felt that um, like a lot of coaches, he, he was uh, a little on the paranoid side and I tried to win his confidence. And I think I did to a certain extent that I, mm-hmm. I was on his side. I wasn't out to get him. And, you know, I think he, he eventually came around to that kind of thinking. Uh, Gary was uh, a much different personality and a guy who really understood that he needed the media on his <coughs> side and mm-hmm. wanted to do whatever he could to kind of help get attention on his program. And so, you know, that certainly made our jobs easier. Uh, his successor was uh, the late Randy Walker, who came in when Gary went to Colorado as head coach. And I had forgotten Randy- about Randy Walker because I had forgotten about him, to be honest with you, because I know it was when he passed away, it was like sudden, if I'm right, because yes. that was just one of those that was unexpected but you know, death happens to all of us. But I don't. I don't think anybody expected that. And then it was um, Fitzgerald after Randy Walker had passed. But I don't think anybody who's had to fill in for somebody who's passed away, no matter if it's in a broadcast booth, if it's in coaching, in whatever, right? It's got to be a tough transition being a position coach, which I think coach Fitzgerald was, I think he right. was linebackers coach. And then he had to move to the head chair because of unforeseen, unforeseen circumstances. But it seemed like he's done pretty well with when he started, it was a tough transition, but it seems like as a coach, he's basically created his own style. I mean, would you agree with that assessment or do you think he's basically taken the same tack that Randy Walker, Coach Barnett, and the coaches before him allowed him to become who he is. Well, he played for Barnett mm-hmm. and then was, I believe he was a graduate assistant for him at Colorado. Yep. He, he coached at Idaho. He coached, he had been a grad assistant at Maryland. Uh, he came back to Northwestern as um, as an assistant coach, not a coordinator, and he never served as a coordinator. And so when Randy died suddenly in the summer of 2006, mm-hmm. uh, it was about eight weeks before the first game. So at that point, uh, the, the university president 
and the athletic director was Mark Murphy, who is now the president of the Green Bay Packers. Mm-hmm. And they, I think they took a leap of faith, realizing they could have gone with a more experienced coach who had coordinator experience, mm-hmm. or they could go with the guy who was young, just 31 years old, would probably make some mistakes, but was probably going to be the guy had Randy lived. Eventually, this was his heir apparent. Right. Did they go ahead and, and elevate him to that job then? And, you know, I was a, that was a very gutsy move. I mean, that could have been <laughs> very tough, not because of who Pat is, but because he didn't have – the resume that you you normally seek in a head coach. Uh, he hadn't been a head coach. He hadn't been a coordinator. He was just 31 years old. And, uh, and yet he was able, you know, to get them to 500 by his second year. And he's consistently taken them to bowl games, took them to the big 10 championship game two years ago, had a, had an off year last year, but a year mm-hmm. that I fully believe was, the fluke uh it was the exception to the rule not i mean everything everything that year everything last year for northwestern that could go wrong did last year yeah pretty much especially trying to replace a four-year starter quarterback and and uh then losing your only experienced guy for the season in the very first game i think it, it was very tough to get any consistent play out of the quarterback position how long did it take you to gain Coach Fitzgerald's trust as a head coach, not as assistant? Because I know as an assistant, you can probably pass by, say hello, you know. I know you should mm-hmm. do the same thing, but it was probably a transition for you trying to, you know, instead of saying, like, hi, coach, how you doing in a friendly conversation as an assistant, now you have to figure out how to, you know, a turn that conversation, keep the same conversation, but try to do it in a different way as the head boss instead of just another assistant coach in the background. I don't think it was difficult at all because I already had a good relationship with him dating back to his playing days. And then um, it's kind of funny. We'd seen each other once in a while. I was sitting at a Cubs White Sox game, <laughs> and this was prior to the 2002 season, I believe. Mm-hmm. And and I'm I'm in the seats, I think, with one of my kids, and at Wrigley Field. And who comes who who comes to our our row and says, "Excuse me," and has the two seats next to us. But Pat Fitzgerald and his wife, I said, what are you doing here? And it turns out he was back interviewing with Randy Walker for the assistant coach's job. Oh, wow. And and so, you know, we had a chance to, to catch up a little bit. And sure enough, uh, within a, on a week or two, he was announced as a new assistant coach at Northwestern and has been there ever since. And so, I, you know, I've always... Uh, had a good relationship with him. I try to give him the respect that he's due as the head coach, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm also a heck of a lot older than him too. So, <laughs> you know, I think it, that cuts both ways, but you know, I've, I've seen him away from 
the offices in the field and, and, you know, I've, I've, you know, gotten to know him over what, 25 years now, mm -hmm. uh, more than that. So I, I think, uh, you know, he's, he has been willing to confide in me. And I think he also knows that there's certain things that, um, you know, he's pretty media savvy and he knows there's some things that, that I need to know and Ted needs to know to do our jobs without betraying his confidence, you know? And I think, I think he understands that he can trust us with information. We're not going to, we're not going to sell him out. Did you, I know you had a sideline reporter last year, mm -hmm. but are sideline reporters for you guys off and on, depending on what you're looking for in the particular season or, has that always been a part? Has that always been a staple of the Northwestern football broadcast with you and Albrecht and crew? No, it hasn't been, Luther. It came up. Um, I, I actually, for a while, kind of resisted because I thought I'm not. I'm not sure how much they're adding, and to me, it's it's more of a cosmetic thing. And uh, but then. Um, I was, you know, giving it thought and realizing that, um, there was some information that it would be helpful if we got in a more timely manner for the benefit of the broadcast. And so <coughs> we, uh, we added a sideline reporter, I'm guessing about, um, probably about, um, almost maybe 10 years, not quite 10 years ago. And, um, and we've had one ever since. And our, our current sideline reporter is the guy who's worked for me here at WGN, a Adam Hogue, who um, his primary beat has been covering the bears, mm -hmm. but he's a, he's a big 10 guy, went to school in Wisconsin, grew up in this area loves football and so i offered him the chance about i don't know five or six years ago to do it and he's uh he's fully on board now he just loves doing it uh, he's actually his full-time base now is nbc sports chicago but he's still going to maintain the uh, the sideline gig with us now is he just for home games or does he travel with you guys on the road too because i know he with a lot of broadcasts they will have Sometimes a three-man booth and a sideline guy, but sometimes I'll have the you know two-man booth and a sideline guy, or sometimes they will have just the regular broadcast team and no sideline at all. No, we we uh, uh, Adam does travel with us, so uh, he he does go with us on the road. And you've been to all kinds of places. What is it like going on the road from the first time you did it to now, like? What things on the road itinerary has changed as the broad, you know, as you've progressed in as thirty year voice of the Wildcats? Well, I probably try to go to bed a little earlier than I did <laughs> at one time. Um, you know, the the travel I think for, for everybody, whether you're flying on charters or not, it's become more difficult. There's it's it's the process is uh, it, it's in some respects, you know, it's still better than 
flying commercial, but it's, it still can be a pain. Uh, yeah, I, I've always enjoyed that, that aspect. Obviously now we don't know what travel is going to look like. Exactly. Um, but, but you have the, uh, the elements of the unknown when you travel, uh, when you do away games, what your broadcast location is going to be like, uh, if, you know, we, we sometimes travel a spotter, but we can't, we can't send him on the charter generally. So he has to travel on his own. So if we're going further away, then I have to hire a spotter from the home institution. And, and sometimes that's hit or miss. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's just some things that go into it a bit, but overall, I'd say, um, it's, uh, it's still not, uh, not something that is is an impediment to uh, to doing the job. I mean, I still enjoy doing it. What is that dealing with the Big Ten play-by-play radio teams? And I got to ask, since you've been a part of the Big Ten forever and ever, amen, what was it like besides dealing with a Joe McConnell when you went to a Minnesota and just sat and chatted with the late Ray Christensen? Well, I, you know what, I, um, I only uh, probably overlapped with Ray for a few years. Uh, very nice man, always very gracious and friendly. Uh, I actually filled in for him once on a Minnesota basketball broadcast when he got fogged in trying to get into Chicago for a game at Loyola. And uh, I, got, I got the call to run up to uh, old alumni gym and do the game. And I was, I was so nervous and I hadn't prepared. And he was sitting back in the studio for, for halftime commentary. And I can only imagine what he said. I was, I was awful, but, <laughs> but, um, but he was a very nice man. And, you know, most of us, I think have a really good relationship. There are a few guys I don't know quite as well. But uh, but guys uh, like Paul Keels at Ohio State, mm -hmm. Matt LaPay at Wisconsin, Gary Dolphin at Iowa, uh, Mike Grimm up at Minnesota, Brian Barnhart at Illinois. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, yeah, I've certainly <laughs> Tim Newton at Purdue. I've gotten to know all those guys very well over the years. Steve Jones at Penn State. Uh, they're all, you know, all of them, all 14 of them are, you know, really good guys. Johnny Holiday, who's the voice of Maryland, is the guy I grew up. Well, and I grew up listening to him when he was a, a morning disc jockey in Washington when I was a kid. So, <laughs> you know, Johnny is, uh, I mean, he's a great role model. He's uh, been do doing that. I mean, I think he and he and Don Fisher, who's also a tremendous guy, are the, the two deans of uh, a Big Ten broadcasters, and both are uh, both are. Tremendous people and tremendous broadcasters. I think Steve Jones took over for Fran Fisher, if I'm right, at Penn State. He was there forever, too. Yeah, I was. State. Steve's been, since they came into the Big Ten, I've only known Steve. So when I first started, uh, the, the voice of the Wisconsin Badgers was Jim Irwin. Mm -hmm. uh, the late Jim Irwin, the longtime voice of the Packers, yep. who was succeeded by Wayne Larrabee, with whom yes. I used to work. Who and was then, like, uh, an, who was awesome, by the way. Had him on the yeah, pod. yes, he, he is. is awesome. Yeah, Wayne's a good friend, but but Matt LePay, I believe, replaced Jim as the voice of the Badgers. 
Yeah, I, th- I think I think they had Irwin on football, and then I think they had LePay doing basketball. Basketball. That's correct. After Irwin retired, I think they gave right. They and moved I heard, Matt over. And I yeah, I heard something from whatever your other colleagues at Litchfield IMG, Keith Sampson, that Alvarez pointed to Mike to uh, Mike and Matt and said you. And basically told them to just do the game broadcast, and they've been an institution ever since. Yeah. Huh. Now that's what I've heard. And my guess is if Barry Alvarez pointed and said those two, then apparently that's what it was. And the rest, as they say, is history. Well, that's that, that was a good call. So for you, does Ted work with you on basketball, or do you mostly fly solo, or do you have a color analyst from time to time with basketball? No, I. And my my partner on basketball for the last several years is Joey Meyer, who is the former coach at DePaul. And uh, so Joey has worked with me for several years on basketball. Uh, Ted only works with me on football. Ah, okay. And I know you did a Cubs game or a few when Pat Hughes had to take some time away. What was it like doing baseball? And had you done baseball before then when the Cubs were on WGN? Uh, Years ago, I had. I I actually filled in on a series for Harry Carey when the Cubs were playing down in St. Louis um, many years ago. This is uh, probably almost 30 years, more than 30 years ago now, I think. Um, But, um, you know, I I love baseball. Um, Then when I was approached – about doing it because Pat was getting some games off each year Mm -hmm. and the station asked if I would like to do it. And I jumped at the opportunity partly because it was only a handful of games. And on one hand, that's a negative because it's hard to get into any kind of a rhythm. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, it's, it's difficult from that standpoint, but it's, I think, uh, you know, a positive in that, uh, I had a chance to do it, chance to kind of, you know, maintain, hopefully maintain the sound of the station rather than go outside the station uh, for somebody to fill in for Pat. And, uh, you know, and, and I, I, I had some rocky times, but I think over the course I did it for about, I don't know, three or four years. I did, you know, as many as nine games a year, I think as it went on, I, I think, I, I worked at it. I tried to improve. I'm sure there, I have my detractors, but uh, hey, that's life. I, I, you know, I thought uh, uh, it was something that, uh, for the most part, I think the feedback was pretty good. How long did it take you to earn the trust of players so you can get interview time with them or just, you know, find out who they are away from the field? Like, how long did it take you to get the trust of the players where there's like, okay, we can trust this guy without him betraying us since, you know, you, us and the media, we're the fourth estate, and we have to find a way to earn this, you know, trust in yeah. the coaching staff and players. Are you talking baseball or football? Both. I mean, because well, well, you, know, you hadn't done baseball in a while, but since you yeah. pretty much since you're pretty much on the football and men's basketball beat with Northwestern, and plus now with your 
current coach on basketball. What is it? Holiday. Uh, um, 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 what is it? The, t- the guy that took, yeah, Collins that took you to the NCAA tournament right. two years ago and played Vanderbilt. And that was probably an experience just to get back there again. Sure. Um, I, I think it's, you know, the players, when you're around them, you know, they see you. It's a little difficult uh, as far as football for me because I'm on the radio in the morning and they practice in the morning. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of the guys, the only time I see them is at scheduled news conferences and then we're, we're traveling on the road. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I try to – and I've done their TV shows off and on. So, you know, I've got some access there. Uh, basketball, I travel with them. They see me on the charter. They see me around the arena. You know, there they get to know me. There's fewer players, you know. So, plus I'm sitting courtside, so they see me during the games. A little bit different than football. But because I've been there for a while now, I think that, you know, they they sort of have a clue as to what my role is. And, you know, they – I but I, I honestly, I try to give them their space. And I try to treat them with respect and not mm-hmm. hang out with them. Sure. You know, during during the, um, you know, I try to, I'm I'm more likely to kind of be near the coaches or the other staff people than I am the players because, you know, it's I'm there. It's a business trip for everybody. Yep. Um, if I need an interview or something, I work with the athletic communications staff, and you know they're great about you know getting me whoever I need. Yeah, I was going to ask you about like, how do you go by? getting interviews for like a segment or and I know you host the pre and everything from you know from the stadium or from yeah courtside you never have anybody back at the studio except for producer work and I wonder like how do you make sure you get your interviews but also as the play-by-play voice in the fourth estate you don't overstep what you know you need to get without being intrusive and a bother and, you know, getting the things you need to make the broadcast as respectable as possible. Well, I try to go into it with a line of questioning that, yeah, I have already kind of thought about what would be the matters of, of interest to our listeners and go from there, you know, and, and that's sort of the approach I take. I, I think, and the one thing I think there there are enough people around there who know me. I think the the players know that I'm I'm kind of after thirty some years I'm sort of part of it now. So you know I think they understand that and they know I'm not there to to uh, to do anything to that would in any way damage you know what they're trying to get accomplished. Uh, I'm not trying to be a homer, but you know these are college kids after all. You know, so I'm certainly not going to to put them in a, you know, will be a difficult position. That's just not fair. No, because they they have demands on their time with classwork and study and things like that. And sure, you as the broadcaster, you're just like, oh, I need to get an interview. Right. You know, can I get that? But, you know, you want to get the things that you need to make sure that you have your ingredients and the paint that you're going to need to actually paint the picture for the broadcast and set it up right right and and fortunately 
Uh, the one thing about doing games at a place like Northwestern, they're really smart kids, and they the interviews tend to be pretty good. So most of the time, you're not having to really pull teeth to get good answers. Final question, because I know you have to go handle another yes. Zoom call. Zoom. I know you're yes. behind schedule on that, and I didn't mean no, to. No problem. Um, no problem. What's easier after 30-plus years, and what things are still challenges after three decades as the voice of the cats? And do you like the moniker voice of the cats? I know a lot of other broadcasters, when they take over for a legendary play-by-play voice, I know Tony Caridi at West Virginia, I think I read a piece on him where he says he does not ever want to be called the voice of the Mountaineers because that was um, a play-by-play voice who was there at West Virginia for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he was, always, he was always known as the voice of the Mountaineers. And I listened to, oh, what was the guy's name? Jack... Um, well, it's slipping my mind right now, but it will come back to me later. But he, I loved when he had the West Virginia Penn State and just the scene centers. Is that something that you've done over the years, or is that something you try to not do but set up within the pregame before kickoff without? setting things like that up no I, I try to set it up right at the beginning of the broadcast i think that's important try to hit the key points do a little about a three or four minute scene setter right there and then things get so cluttered when we get near kickoff because they're trying to do lineups which are it's a sponsored element um <laughs> trying to make you know and the timing every week coaches are sponsored too so that yeah, adds right. a little more to that Right. And then, and then every week the timing is different depending on which network is televising the game. So, you know, there's, there's, it's easier for me to kind of get the cogent points out right at the start of the broadcast. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as far as the voice of the cats thing, I'm fine with that. Um, so, several years ago, somebody, nicknamed me and started calling me Mr. Cat, which I didn't, I, I tried to, I tried to shake. And, uh, unfortunately it got kind of picked up by everybody at Northwestern. And so now I have that and, and it's, it makes me a little uncomfortable, but you know what? It's so be it. I guess there's worse things they could call me. Right. Exactly. And how is it like, how is it, Family-wise, with the wife, and now you know when you were raising kids. Now the kids are probably now out of the house and yes. living their lives. But how you know, as a married broadcaster and things like that over the years, how much easier has it gotten, or is it still much of a challenge when you are dealing with? raising a family, doing game prep, so on and so forth. Like for you, when you started out to now, right. has it well has it, has it gotten easier? Is it still tougher? Or what things are you still, you know? Well, learning? the game prep, the game prep is easier because of the internet. 
Oh, There's sure. no question that and and the Big Ten network and you know just the availability of every game everywhere being on TV. So that part of it's gotten easier. Mm-hmm. From the family standpoint, yeah, my kids are grown. Uh, when they were little, you know, they could come to practice with me and they went, you know, I would always try to include my family wherever I could. And, you know, my, my, my son, I is going to be 30 this fall. And I love telling him that, you know, <laughs> he, he slept through the first quarter of the Rose Bowl on my wife's lap um, <laughs> in 95. But, but my kids grew up around it. They love the program. They, they bleed purple. And my wife, um, you know, as she kind of had a pretty good idea what she was signing up for. And yesterday we celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary. And so Happy I guess, late anniversary on that. Thank you. So I guess she, uh, I guess she's willing to accept it. So was it tough to say like, okay, is this going to be the person I'm going to marry? And was it easier with what you were doing at that point in 85 compared to now in 2020 since you celebrated your 35th because well, it seemed like because it seemed like you know everything when you were doing when when you were doing things your play-by-play roles changed you're you know moving from station right. to station but the right. good thing is you basically stayed pretty much around Chicago or the Chicagoland area so I mean, well, that's that's a plus there yeah I did if one year uh, I did move out of the market and went to Washington DC for a year and, and, uh, she came with me and, you know, since then I've been in Chicago and that's, you know, that's been now, well, it's been over 35 years. Um, and you know what I, I've, I've had probably for the past 30 years, I'd say I've had more control over my schedule, but she's, you know, she's gone to her fair share of weddings and celebrations and birthday parties without me. Mm-hmm. But for the, you know, for the most part, um, you know, she also understood that, you know, this is something I love. And, you know, I, I, I've been one of those, I'm fortunate to do something I love for a living. And, and she's been uh, as supportive as anybody could imagine. So it's all, it's all worked out. Mr. And I've enjoyed, you know, the interview. I've enjoyed listening to your work. And hopefully, if there is a season, then I'll get a chance to listen to it again on TuneIn. Because it's a lot easier on TuneIn to listen to an early morning kickoff at 11 a.m. or at night. Because at least the good thing is it's at least clear and it's not going in and out like on the a.m. side of it. Right. WGN. But, you know, that's that's the beautiful thing about it. At least with the Internet, you can pretty much listen to almost any game you want. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And before so, I let and before I let you go, when you yeah. go back and listen to yourself and when you have other people listen to your stuff and hopefully well you look forward to getting your critique on my work as well when you get the chance. Mm-hmm. When sure. you listen to yourself and what are your when you're listening what are your do's and don'ts that you're listening for and what are the do's and don'ts that you're listening for when you're listening to other broadcasters and people who want to either get in this business or already are in the business trying to improve on their craft and work on their craft. 
Yeah, I, I guess there are only a couple of things. I mean, everybody's got to do their own thing. Uh, far be it from me to criticize other broadcasters. I would say this. You know, don't try to be something you're not. Sure. Just try to be yourself. Just just don't don't put on an act. You know, it's it's it, because the listener can hear right through it. Mm-hmm. And and so to me, you know, I'm not, I'm not a gimmicky broadcaster. I never have been. Mm-hmm. My my calling card generally is is going to be energy, enthusiasm and hopefully accuracy. Um, you know, the thing that makes me crazy when I listen back to one of my own broadcasts is, and I've never been one to take us, uh, an hourglass into the booth, but it's when I, I'm not constantly giving the score. And when I hear another broadcaster, not giving the score on a regular basis, um, you know, time remaining quarter, half score i mean it's 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 the basic stuff because mm-hmm. the the other stuff you know you can you can figure out but if you're if you just turn on a game and you have to wait too long to hear the score that's uh you know that's that's a tough sell but i know when i've listened to a you know a big team game like a matt LePay and mike lucas you know they're getting into a thought and then matt will come back and you know give the score where the ball is and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. And that sure I listen I try to listen to those broadcasts because I want to try to learn and with me having, you know, no eyesight at all, I have you know, when you were talking about spotters and you have to hire spotters, is how big is it for you that when you have a spotter at the home games, what are you looking for from them? Or is there, or does your spotter pretty much know since you and him have worked for a while that you yes. don't have to say anything? But, well, when, I, but I, let's but let's say it's somebody new you're working with. What things are you asking him or her to give you so you have the information that you can paint the picture and go from there? Well, it's pretty basic. It's uh, it's the. Uh, primary tackler on a play, mm-hmm. um, first and foremost. Secondary tackler, if there's a turnover, who's got the ball first? Who's got it first on a fumble right. or on an interception? I'm going to call the interception as I see it, but if I'm screened out, I'm going to r- rely on the uh, spotter to confirm the number for me. And you um, hope they catch it. And you hope they catch it. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes there, you know, there's there's just no way to see it. Either they're in a crowd or they're they're you know they're running. Uh, you know, you're seeing their their shoulder. You're not seeing their back or their front of their jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so but I'm asking for that. I'm also on special teams. Who the primary return man is, just to so I make sure. And basically, if there's any significant personnel change, you know, occasionally we've all done this where all of a sudden the starting running back, you've, you've just gotten used to seeing him the whole game or the quarterback suddenly isn't in there. And, you know, I remember a couple of years ago we played at Purdue and we had our quarterbacks were 18 and 10 and they put they, they had 18 take a couple of snaps near the goal line. 
and then they put 10 in there on third down and he scored the touchdown. I didn't see him come out and the other guy go, you know, so things like that can trip you up. So basically the, the spotter is, is there backstopping me, but you know, I would imagine this year, if we have football, I won't have a spotter. Uh, you know, I, I think that's even if I'm at the games say, and if there are games, yeah, I was wondering. I was wondering, you know, how that's going to work with radio teams at the Big Ten level. You know, if they're going to even be allowed to be in the stadium, or we don't, well, we don't know. Work. We don't know yet, and you know, we'll. I would imagine we'll find out, but we have not heard anything it's, yet. So. I guess the plus is you already know the players that are back, but you don't know, like, who the new players are going to be. Right. Or... And guys change numbers, too. Yeah. How how often are you still looking at the roster that you have to make sure that, okay, I know this player's back. I know this player's back. We recruit, you know – they recruited this player, they recruited that player, but you don't know what position, you know, yeah. know what their position well, is, but you don't know how much they're going to actually play. And right. then how do you figure well, out? Well, I'm going to worry chart? about that. I'll worry about that when they get to camp, you know, and then at that, that point, um, you know, they'll get, they'll, they'll give me one, some position battles or one, they'll get me a, a, an unofficial depth chart so I can mm-hmm. start putting my chart together and and go from there and beyond that you know i'll i'll get from the coaches who are the freshmen we're likely to see which guys are not going to play mm-hmm. and you know i can then i can kind of craft what uh, what i'm going to work off of are you using a spotting board because i know a lot of broadcasters are using a spotting board or do you have your own like method? i have my own yeah i have my own chart and actually it's a hybrid of something that i got from joe mcconnell Oh, cool. He sent me and I sort of, I've sort of over the years modified it, enlarged it a bit and, uh, and, you know, made changes, added things, subtracted things. And, you know, now, so I know where everything is on the chart. If I handed it to someone else, they could be, <laughs> you know, lost, but I know where it is and my color coding works for me, you know, so that's how I try to do it. So. And I know there's a lot of other things I know I want to get to, but I know I've kept you longer than I should have. So, you know, things happen. So <laughs> right. I, hopefully the next time, because I do want to chat with you about, you know, with your analyst, when you and Albrecht started to work together and things like that and how difficult or easy it was when you have worked with analysts and other people how you set them up so they can shine, even on the radio side, even though you are the lead play-by-play voice and kind of a right. traffic cop. Right. Well, and that's the thing. You, you, even if you, sometimes you have to ask a question, even if you know the answer, to let your analyst answer it sure. and make sure he does his or her job. You know, mm-hmm. so that's how I approach that. But I'd be glad to talk to you about that again in the future. My thanks to the voice of the Northwestern Wildcats, Dave Innett, for being my guest on this edition of the Blind Broadcaster Podcast. If you have any suggestions for future guests on the pod, please email me or find me on Facebook with the following address, luther.king 
tsb at gmail.com. If you want to find out any information on my broadcast events, look up the Luther King Broadcast Network Facebook page. And for this year's podcast, look for the Blind Broadcaster Podcast Facebook page. You can find me on Twitter as well at King underscore TSB and on IG, aka Instagram at LKing.CardinalSan85. So until next time, for Dave Innett and the entire broadcast team, Luther King signing off for another edition of the Blind Broadcaster Podcast, a proud exclusive entity of the Luther King Broadcast Network. You've been listening to the Blind Broadcaster Podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network. Each episode, Luther King sits down with fellow broadcasters to get their insight into their passion for broadcasting and discuss their career journey. Blind from birth, Luther King never let that stop him from attaining his goal of becoming a blind broadcaster. To find out more about the Blind Broadcaster Podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network, search the Blind Broadcaster Podcast or Luther King Broadcast Network on social media or visit Luther King Broadcast Network. Network.com.